0: Sometimes time is our best friend, meaning if I have an emotional reaction, maybe I wait until tomorrow or maybe next week and I percolate and I let maybe my experience shift and change of what happened because with time, sometimes I can shift out of my emotional brain enough to come to the realization that, yeah, I'm uncomfortable over here, but this discomfort is of that
1: expansive kind. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Almost 30. Welcome back to Almost 30 podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you are coming back, we love you. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you are new... This is a podcast for people that are at all ages. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's been a
2: blessing and a curse to name almost 30, almost 30. But we've just realized everyone's kind of almost something, whether it's an age or just going through some sort of transition. And, you know, those times can be kind of stressful and you could feel alone and just it could be really challenging. So we wanted to create a conversation and a community that will hopefully make you feel less alone, inspire you, make you laugh, just make you feel supported. So here we are. Here we are. Jesus, take the wheel. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Today, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm staring at your leggings and they're covered in my new carpet hair.
1: I've been (laughs) trying to take a break during calls by rolling, being on the carpet. Honestly, it feels good. And my leggings are completely covered in like (laughs) pink hair. Today has been quite a wild ride. I'm grateful for my cognitive ability to be able to try and manage what is happening today. I, I'm i grateful for you. I'm grateful for our new space. There's a lot of exciting space. things to great, be grateful for, but the it, lack of organization in the management of our workflow is, was very apparent today. A hundred percent. Y'all, we were, I mean, I know you guys do this too right? when you're at work and in your life and- you know, friends and traveling and all the things. But um, today was, you know, a meeting about the email list, calls with networks, a meeting about, you know, redoing our new it was too many our new space we things. had an interview about sex <laughs> and then we had calls with sponsors and mm-hmm. then we were looking over the new merch coming in next year and then we're looking at what we're gonna do for the shoot and it's all stuff that's amazing and fun and then i'm writing an email back to someone mm-hmm. who's angry at me <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm like totally. it was like wow this was totally an interesting day i know and it- you know, having the
2: team all together is great, but I was also like kind of wanting to like have time with you, where I was like, Hold I need on. to like talk to you about a few things and also just like check in because, especially this time of year, which we're doing now live on the air in front of all of you. Yes, <laughs> this is our check in. It's a lot, and I feel like we're we're nearing, and this episode is actually coming out January second. So, sup, y'all? Happy New Year! Happy Sorry. friggin' New Year! Sorry, we're so rude, and I'm really excited about this episode to just kick off the New Year, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but. Yeah, nearing the end of the year. And maybe you're kind of still feeling that. Some people don't get their new year started until January, until February. So respect, you know? But I just, I think we both are feeling kind of this, like you feel the end of the year coming. You really, we really want some space and rest. And it actually doesn't feel like we can that much or as much as we had hoped. And, but I'm wanting that for you. I'm wanting that for me. Like, it's just- I you know, I wanna like help you and I wanna like just support the team. It's a it's a very like, ugh. Mm-hmm. It's it
1: didn't feel amazing today. To yeah, today felt terrible. Yesterday yeah. felt terrible, to be honest. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I'm I feel like I'm having conversations all the time and I'm never knowing. I'm either not understanding or I'm not feeling like whatever I'm talking about is being fully completed. So I'm feeling like I have to always revisit things. So I always have this like residue of whatever was talked about still lingering in my head because it's not done, which is mostly on my inability to be patient when I'm delegating tasks. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I put things out and I want them to be done and I'm, I'm patient when I'm communicated with frequently, but it's just been hard in that sense. And we just have just a lot in the last part of the year. And I just would have done December completely differently. Totally. You know, as totally. far as like, and just with so many new people on the team, the team is growing, you know, for for you guys, just for, I guess, some background into like almost 30. So, you know, Lindsay and I are the hosts and we do just everything from the top down with the business, but we have someone that helps us with our emails, Mm -hmm. an amazing person named Griffin. And then we have someone that helps us with copywriting and project management. Her name is Allie. She's incredible. We have Julia that helps Mm -hmm. support the podcast production, getting show notes, getting all the social, picking out the audiograms, working up to upload sponsor stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's with a production team. And then we have Chloe who does social and, and creative and then we have uh, Bess who does partnerships, and then we have uh, Shara who does community management. So, and we have Tiffany who does our schedule, oh, yeah. and emails and
2: all of that. Yeah. And so it's quite the team. We have Tommy, videographer. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's that is a job in itself and managing managing them and not because it's hard, it's hard yeah. to work with them. It's more just like, we want to make sure they feel supported and like they can do the best job that they can. So, you know.
1: Yeah. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a it, lot. It's just, it is a lot. And that's the thing, when you have a smaller business, you're usually working with more people as contractors. Mm-hmm. And we have so many amazing, you know, partners in that way, but it's just, yeah. It's almost like you're just like, and it's hard to being creative because you're like, you know, we were, so we had Daisy LA. I don't know if you guys know her, but Danny's amazing. She has like a female focused business that Mm -hmm. creates beautiful t-shirts, merch, art. And she's the best. She's like a designer and she's gonna be on our team. I will sell my home to make her. She can have all my salary. Daisy, D-A-Z-E-Y underscore LA. And I was just, you know, that's just like, you know, you meet her and you're like, oh my God, I have so many ideas and when you are creative, you think of all these ideas, and then I get stressed out if I can't execute them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I have like I did, a, I know, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. and yours are in different areas and than yeah. mine, and and it's and that's for most people, and it's just hard to feel anxiety about fun stuff.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. You
1: know, I'm like, fuck, I got to do this. I want to do this. I want to create like a deck for almost thirty. I want to create, yeah. you know, like, yeah, whatever.
2: But we've seen, you know, throughout these three plus years that everything does happen at the right time. So, you know, it's hard to remember that, but it really, it really does. And we have to remember too, especially this year, I feel like we've done a lot of new things that we've never done before. So I don't know if we necessarily factored in time that where there would be like extra reviews of things, where there would be you know, just more time spent on it. So like, yeah, a lot of it for me right now is like time. And I'm like, oh my God, how are we going to get XYZ done? And, you know, I'm learning on the production side what that looks like in terms of like our creativity. So it's like, how many intros can we do in a day? How, you know, if we're on tour, does that feel good? Like, are we going to be inspired? Where's that inspiration coming? It's like, it's a very interesting thing like is- as creatives, where we go back and forth between like the tactical, logical, da da da, and then it's like, okay, let's have like a fun, com- inspiring conversation. Like, how do we do that? You know, and but you know, we're
1: learning. Definitely. Yeah. That's what it too, is you always want to put your best, best face forward, you know, on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. when, when I'm writing an email back to someone that's like mad about copy that I wrote for something and Mm -hmm. then I'm like getting on the podcast and I'm like, hello everybody. Totally. Let me tell you about this affirmation that impacted my life. And even on tour when we're doing stuff live, like moving furniture around and then like, let's make sure we're, yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking about it too. Like I just says a last thing on it, I'm like, has my, my ability to be happy has been increased exponentially since creating the podcast. But what I generally say as a sense that I am like, I just wonder about my ability to be happy and to Mm. be enjoying what I'm doing. If it's the same as it was when I was working full time mm, and doing almost yeah. 30 or, you know what I was, I they had very, very low points, but I guess would I, if I analyze myself in each of those moments, would I say that, or would I have been that much happier or less happy?
2: Yeah. Where it's like a a core part of you. And I'm speaking from my experience yep. where it's like a core part of me will always find something yep. to, complain about or it's like, yep. yeah, well, this has gone on. So it's a little nah, right now. So it's like that part of us will, I don't know if it always has to be there, but I, I I do think, and we've done a lot of work and continue to do work. You know, like we had a session with Aaron Rose recently and, you know, it it does these little moments and conversations helps to shift perspective and hopefully move the needle a little bit on our ability to, you know, just absorb and flow through some of these really difficult times and still remember that like there are so many incredible things like happening and also being created but it's hard it's like I also we're human so whatever the fuck I don't you know it's whatever it's like this is human beings where we're I'm not always going to be happy I'm not always definitely
1: yeah and I don't want that I just I do want to be what's the point you Mm -hmm. know like what is the point of everything if like I don't know. I think I would be curious too when everyone has that, where they're like, "I'm." I was talking about that we were with Erin during a mm-hmm. coaching session. Like, we're literally doing. This is my dream, and then it's like, okay, what's next? And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, I have ideas, and sure, I can think of a hundred yeah. things to do, but it's like, I think I just want to be happier all the time doing this. Yeah, that's like my yeah. dream is to be living in grateful for everything that we've been given, which I am Mm -hmm. when I say this, I am, but I'm not acting like it all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between people saying I'm grateful. And you know, people say with angst, and I'm saying that as someone that does, you know, I am grateful. I am grateful. I am grateful. And it's like, if you're not living in joy with what it's been given to you, then are you grateful? Mm -hmm. You know, are you grateful in practice? Are you grateful in just preaching it? And I think I'm needing to be more grateful and have more gratitude in the daily moments of everything that's happening rather than just in saying it.
2: Yeah, grateful for me is always like a reminder, but that doesn't feel good either. Or it's like, I'm in a shit spot and then I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, but I'm grateful for this. And it's like, so what is the weight of that gratitude rather than actually living the gratitude. I think there's a difference between it being just a reminder or something you say or something you like say out of like angst. It's like, there's a difference. I, th- I think completely agree
1: with you yeah. completely. Cause if, if, if I felt it, you know, this is me figuring this out right now on the fly with you guys on the podcast. Um, but if I felt truly grateful, if I felt truly in every cell that I was lucky, mm-hmm that this was given to me by source and that everything was an opportunity for me to like just feel joy, then I wouldn't be acting as stressed out as I do Mm -hmm. or as anxious as I do or as angry at times as I do. And I'm not saying it's not right to feel. Feeling is important and necessary, but it just, I don't know, makes me think.
2: Yeah, definitely, yeah.
1: That's like with relationships too. People can think Mm -hmm. about that when you're like, you know, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my relationships. And like, Justin would always say that too. When I used to make Justin do like, say five gratefuls at the end of the day before bed, I'd be like, let's say five things we're grateful for. He's like, well, you're not really feeling grateful if you're just repeating things at the end of the night. Mm. He's like, you're just saying like, I'm grateful for my healthy salad for lunch. I'm grateful that we have a warm comforter, you know? <laughs> and he's like, you're not being grateful if you're just repeating something that's like, you're mm. just doing it to check the boxes off. Right, right. I think there's twofold. It's like, yeah. it's a good reminder because you could fly
2: through your day and then yes. forget that you had an amazing salad made by a sweet woman at Green. Yeah. Or yeah. you know what I mean? It's like- but I see his point where it's like really living that gratitude, and I think it's just presence. Yes, you know where it's just like you being in that moment when Justin gives you a hug in the morning, and you're just like, "Oh my god, this is the best." You know, it's like it's that that presence. I think that like really makes gratitude
1: a a thing that you em- embody. Yes, the yeah. embodiment of gratitude mm-hmm. is also the slowing down for presence, and it's just yeah, it just it's annoying to me too, that this isn't a lesson that I've learned. You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't learned to Mm -hmm. slow down Mm -hmm. in small ways I have, but it isn't like, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever master it, but it's like, what do you have to do to learn? Well, I think the slowing down
2: as your, your close friend, like it's like, have you been able to slow down? Meaning when you slow down, do bad things happen around you where it's like, do things fall apart? Mm -hmm. Do things not get done? Yeah. Do um, whatever that looks like. So it's like, is it a safe space for you to slow down? And does that matter? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just a matter of like us slowing down more often and being able to create a new rhythm and reality for what we do not to say that mistakes won't be made things might fall apart a little bit but it's like no this is the new new because I think you know I'm used to how you are you're used to how I am you know so it's like and we're used to how Chloe is and how Tiffany is Mm -hmm. so if like the rhythms change you know what I mean it's like we we almost have to kind of like retrain ourselves and then also retrain other people yeah so completely, it's, yeah, it's really interesting.
1: And it's funny too, like as a last thing, you know, within a business like ours, that's so creative and just full of empowered, diverse women. Uh, but it's like funny because I was in the corporate world for so long, you know, in consulting, digital marketing, whatever. And the pro <laughs> there's so many processes that really make sense in an entrepreneurial space and just are really effective. And it's like funny mm-hmm. when I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm craving more like project management. I'm craving more like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that kind of thing. Like almost like, like a project management status update weekly, you know, you just, it's funny cause you, you get away from that and you're like, oh, it's like boring and dumb. But then you like get into a space where you don't have that kind of structure and you're like, oh wow, we actually need to like be able to see visibility between the different parts of the business because mm-hmm. people, you know, so it's just, Yes. You know, I just, it makes me, once again, I think I've said this to you guys, but respect and honor being in the corporate world for so long. And I know if you are happy in it or not, that there's just so much in it that's very important and like applicable. Yes. That you're learning.
2: Completely. Completely.
1: That's just a little bit about us and yeah. what we're going through right now. So, what's, what's going on with you? <laughs> Literally. Maybe like good. just sat down for, <laughs> for like dinner. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. They're just like,
2: Jesus Christ. Honestly. But I think it's a good thing, you know, starting the new year and actually like one, reevaluating like how you express gratitude. Is it just kind of this checking the box thing? Yeah. Or are you living it? And that sounds cheesy, but it's like, what does that look like for you? Maybe it's different, but. Are you expressing it to people? Are you telling them actually that you're grateful
1: for them or? There's like a, for me, it's like a vibration of gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I would live in a vibration of gratitude where like, it's very obvious and apparent that like, that's how I feel and people feel it being around me. Yeah. I definitely can express it, but it's not my preferred Mm -hmm. method because, you know, when I'm not in that vibration, everyone's like, oh my God, help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's also like not fun for you either. Yeah. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's not been fun lately, but, but also too, everyone's kind of feeling some type of way. And I, and I, and I'm kind of wondering too, if my feeling this way is like, just sometimes I feel weird prematurely based on something that will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So if I'm feeling anxious, something will happen in the next days or weeks that will be confirmed deny or confirm or deny the reason for my anxiousness. So something Mm. bad will happen or something stressful will happen on a large scale. If I'm feeling really good, then, you know, something really good will be coming. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's that, but yeah. 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 But you know, overall, like, again, just like, I just need to get back to the, the, when we go on our last tour stop, you know, where we had Miami as our last tour stop, seeing everyone and just hearing them say, you know, even if it's briefly like, that the messages that we've shared or our guests have shared have changed their life is like such a great yes. grounding force Yes, to being like, okay, this is why,
2: Yes, you know, this is why.
1: Yeah, the one-on-one
2: conversations, like when they talk to each other, or we're hugging them. It's like, oh, that's what, it's not only what this is about. It's like, that's what we take with us. You know what I mean? Like the money will go and come and the fame, success, whatever, whatever we want will come and go and, and be that kind of loop. But like the, I don't know, it's like what makes us up as human beings is that like energy of connection that keeps us like really alive and inspired. And I think we forget that. Like there are some, it's funny, like some creative people just like are in rooms by themselves, like creating sometimes. And I would be curious to know if like how they feel, you know, like creating without connection.
1: I know. Yeah. I was thinking about with Daisy or Daisy with Danny from Daisy LA. She was like, yeah, I'm at my house and I'm like drawing on my sketch iPad. I was like, what? (laughs) Just like so in awe of people that we talk to that are like, yeah, I'll just, you know, be at my house doing whatever. I'm like, for how long? <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally.
1: When's the next meeting? Yeah, honestly. Local? Yeah, it was like <laughs> for how many minutes. <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Would love to check in with you guys, you know, how you're feeling as December has ended and we're looking in January we always are having conversations like this in the secret Facebook group where people are talking about their goals, their challenges, sort of what's going on with them. And you know, for the most part, we usually don't open up in this way at the beginning of the podcast, but it felt really relevant. And we always wanna be really honest and truthful with you guys with where we are. And um, we shouldn't feel ashamed if we're not always bubbly and happy and making you laugh, but we just wanna be honest because you guys are friends of ours. So we're thankful that we can always feel like we trust you. Yeah,
2: definitely. Today's guest, I'm really, really, really excited and proud Comped. to like share this conversation at the start of the new year. One of my, she probably is my favorite new follow on Instagram, which doesn't give it enough clout, but um, the holistic psychologist Nicole Lapera. I mean, she's a Philly girl, so I felt uh, instantly connected and. Um, just really giving people the power to heal themselves. You know, she's not someone on Instagram that is like, I have the answers for you. Here's our, you know, it's it's very much an empowerment space.
1: Yeah, and if you guys check out her Instagram, you can find so many posts that are just, each one of them provides an opportunity to really, make yourself more emotionally well. There have been so many favorites that I've saved that I've thought that have allowed me to put words to what I've thought as it relates to emotional or psychological wellness. Mm. Uh, One of my favorites is actually one that she wrote about what emotional wellness looks like. Mm. And I think it's really beautiful to kind of put words to phrases that we use quite often. And a few of the things that are listed on this list of what emotional wellness looks like are allowing opinions to exist outside your own, which I love. I think that's very relevant to the way that we are in culture today. I think it's really important that people have different opinions outside of our own and that we celebrate those. Another one is an understanding that people's behavior is not personal. I've you know learned this at my silent retreat and I continue to learn this through readings that I have, but uh, for the most part, a lot of people's behavior that may have affected you or hurt you is not personal to you. And the ability to let that go is very important. Mm. I really like um, how she says awareness, uh, emotional wellness is also the awareness of how emotions feel in the body. So that mind-body connection of where, you know, anger, frustration, sadness, anxiety lives within your body is very important. And using that as a tool to breathe through and move it in and up and out of the body is really important for your overall health for the rest of your life. The last one is um, the ability to flow with life and not take yourself too seriously. Of course, is very, very important. Laughter and joy and just ease with the flow of everything that comes your way in life is, is super, super important. So there are beautiful posts like this that I find on a daily basis from uh, Nicole to be super inspiring and relatable and inspirational. And I'm so glad that she is on you know, our show.
2: Yeah. You can follow her at the period holistic period or dot psychologist on Instagram. And um, yeah, it's my favorite new follow. And yeah, it's, it's really about the whole person perspective. Her work centers around and, and um, she really thinks and believes that people can really heal themselves so you can find more on your holistic psychologist.com enjoy this episode share with your friends I'm sure there's someone in your life who could use an episode like this especially at the beginning of a new year 2020 the roaring 20s yeah are happening yeah and we're just really excited and genuinely grateful to be um, on this ride with you and we will be doing a lot of exciting things this year. So please stay tuned. We have our... Uh, retreat happening again this year. So stay tuned for news on that as well as live shows um, all over the world. We're excited to connect with you and meet you in person and we are launching your podcast pro. So if you want to start, grow, monetize your dream podcast, we've got you. The resources we have created, the courses we have created are so extensive and supportive and I think relatable to with our candid conversations included, that will just make you feel really, really confident throughout the process to create something that the world needs.
1: Yeah. So that'll be launching right on the 5th. So Sunday, January 5th, we're launching that and it'll be open for two weeks for purchase. And with your purchase of one of the courses within your podcast pro to launch Grow or monetize or all three of them, we will be offering some additional support for this first launch. So mm-hmm. you have to get it within the first two weeks and we are excited to see what you create. Yeah. Can't wait. Enjoy this episode. We
2: will see you on the other side. We love you. Bye. Yeah. We're so excited to chat with you. We've been fans of yours for a while, just admiring, you know, because Instagram is just such a, you know, resource for people and a place of inspiration and expression, it's obviously something we look at every day and, um, just so refreshing coupled with, I, I started going to therapy about a year ago, a little over a year ago and to see like the languaging and the truth on your Instagram for people to understand and access was
1: really, really cool. Really cool. And really inspiring. Well,
2: I you saying that, Thank you. Of course.
1: Yeah, I'd love to get started with, you know, your journey here because what you do feels and looks and is so different. And it's just very aligned to, to what we what we stand for, which is people being their own healer, people relying on themselves, doing the work for, for their own reparenting and all of the things. So I'd love to hear about your story to um, navigate to be at a place where you encourage people to heal themselves. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I was really excited when you both um, reached out to me because I knew that we shared alignment mm. in our messaging, which is actually part of my journey in terms of you know concerns about this message of self healing that I was getting ready to profess to the world. I wasn't sure of how the collective of how my peers would take it, but so my my journey here um, was very much by the traditional route uh, for as long as I can remember. I wanted, I loved the mind in particular. I thought it was so fascinating. You know, as a young adult, I was reading all of the psychological thrillers. So, very intuitively, I was always marching forth to be a psychologist, to hang my shingle and do the work of the mind. So, I did that. I got a PhD in clinical psychology. As a human, that topic really resonated psychology that is, because I'm someone who has had anxiety as long as I can remember. I was very much the little child afraid of pretty much the world, the intruders, accidents, hiding under tables. So when I say it was all I knew, it was literally all I knew. And by the time I was in my 20s, I was living in New York. That's where I did my clinical training. And my anxiety at that point was at an all-time high. That's when I was introduced to the joy of panic. Um, Pretty much panic attack after panic attack. So I was definitely living the journey of someone who was struggling with mental wellness. I was, you know, concurrently at the same time in school. Um, flash forward, I got to the place in my journey where I was able to hang a shingle and start a practice. Along my travels and my training, I discovered mindfulness, which would will always have been, I think, kind of a start point to a more holistic Kind of shift in my work, I was always very attracted to it. Surprisingly, it did not come in my clinical program. I discovered it on my own personal journey toward wellness and did some training with an outside supervisor to learn how to utilize that concept in my work. So, when I came to Philly, I opened up a practice and I started to do what I called mindfulness based psychotherapy. I had patients that would come and see me weekly, we had a couch, we'd chat. A couple years in, I was it was successful, I was able to maintain life, so I was happy. Until a couple years in, my health started to decline. My anxiety started to take yet another spike. And I started to, I think, be faced with a really brutal reality in terms of the traditional mode of work, which was a lot of stuckness. The word stuck just kind of kept coming to my mind. We would have incredibly insightful sessions, me with my long-term clients at this point, you know that I would see very consistently, but yet it didn't really feel like progress was fully being made. And then after a series of really scary health, um, just so happens that my anxiety is health-related. So I had a a few really scary health events happening. I would start to faint out of nowhere. Mm. I started to forget my sentences and my clients' names, people I know for years. So, of course, my health anxiety spiked even more and brought me onto the beautiful world of online where I was <laughs> frantically searching for you know the, the cause of these symptoms that quite honestly were scaring the shit out of me. And in my travels of self-researching, I came upon all of this new literature, at least what was new to me in terms of the body and the role that our nutrition and our sleep and, you know, kind of the, from the, from the mind down, you know, how important and how impactful uh, imbalances in those areas could be and could be contributing to not only obviously physical symptoms, but, but emotional ones. So that really just initiated me into a whole journey of changing my life really from top to bottom.
1: Uh, I incorporate it. You had to find that information on your own. It wasn't included in any of your yeah. training to be yeah. a doctor. No,
0: that's why right. it totally, totally new. The mm. body was never mentioned. Wow. Uh, nothing that, like I said, mindfulness was something I did pick up, but it was not directly in my program. I'm of the I, I have the belief now that programs are maybe incorporating mindfulness a bit more actively. But as far as nutrition and lifestyle and uh, nervous system dysregulation, which we now know is a component of trauma, not just the big T of trauma, but a, traumas that a lot of us do suffer over the course of our life. None of that. That was completely absent in my program. So this was news to me when I saw all of this online and I started reading all the literature. So I used myself as my first sample. And I, like I said, I changed my life from top to bottom. And in the over the course of it, I actually started to feel the best I had pretty much in my entire life. I I had saddled myself up up until that point to really be talking about managing my anxiety. You know that there would yeah. be some months and years where it would be manageable, and then maybe some other. And I lived that roller coaster. So I didn't think there was another option. So when I really started to feel my anxiety, my physical symptoms obviously remitted, and I was no longer afraid that that was you know the the brain you know kind of issue that I thought it was. Um, my anxiety. Really, that relief from my anxiety is what inspired me to begin to realize I think the importance of using those tools in my clinical practice. So that is the point that I was sharing earlier where online world, you know, existed. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll start. I saw my practice happening. I felt like I was like moonlighting now with all this secret <laughs> information. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was you know, I didn't know what you know, I didn't know pretty much. I just knew it worked for me. So, I developed an account and I thought, okay, I'll just start to share these methods. And I was scared. Like I said, I didn't know how the collective would feel about this concept of healing thyself. I did not know how my peers would react to this concept. And from the beginning, it was just overwhelmingly positive. I started to put out really practical tools with my hope that they could get into the hands of someone that either maybe has a therapist, maybe doesn't have access to a therapist, but simple daily ways. That people could begin to take their mental wellness into their hands with no expectation. I put those tools out, and within months, the messages that were Mm -hmm. you know teeming in from people that were beginning to do these small changes or look into these areas of research that no one ever you know was wasn't being as talked about as globally were so overwhelming that at that point, I kind of settled into the. Acknowledgment that the way that I was working would no could no longer be the way that I continued to work, so I shifted my practice more fully and gradually phased out of doing that more supportive base work and began to do more specifically holistic base work so lines.
2: specifically what what were those things that you were you were practicing and you were experimenting with, and then introducing to your clients, both existing and new clients, um, just so people can just have an idea of what that yeah. looks like?
0: Yeah. So, kind of building, as I often do, from the body up, the foundation. I looked at my nutrition, and I'm someone who did consider myself quite healthy. You know, I had a pulse on what I believed were was healthy. You know, kind of ways of eating, but the reality is, there's so many different quote-unquote, healthy ways of eating that are being proclaimed that I wasn't maybe doing all of the things that I thought could be fully helpful. I was very much someone... I live in a city. I was eating out a lot. I was eating a lot of more processed foods. So I changed my diet um, to aimed at decreasing gut I mean what, why I'm even talking about nutrition is we have to care about this the state the health of our guts because mm-hmm. when our gut is not healthy our gut is incredibly important for our, our brain in many ways it's how our brain gets nutrients at minimum and it's really gut damage is directly related to inflammation and in terms of mental wellness our brain is an organ just like every other one so if we have chronic inflammation in our bodies a lot of us are struggling with The brain fog, the emotional dysregulation, the reactivity symptoms that I myself had struggled with. So I changed my nutrition, I changed my sleep patterns. Um, I got on a a very regimented sleep schedule where I was getting at least eight hours a night. Sleep is incredibly important. Um, With I trained my body. This did not come overnight into going to bed at a particular time and waking up at a particular time really protecting those those eight hours at minimum. What
1: were the what were the hours that you were doing? So I now am nine to
0: five. I'm in bed and asleep, hopefully around nine and I'm up at five. And I am not a morning person. Um, there was a lot of tears in the beginning of my journey <laughs> toward this. Like, no! I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, my partner and I almost divorced on multiple <laughs> occasions because she acclimated well quicker wow. than I did. Yeah. Um, but so it was, you know, I, I trained myself because I knew how important sleep was. And I always known sleep was important for me, but I never carved out the commitment to sleep. Oh, if I was in bed at midnight or one, whatever, I just get up the next day. So I put sleep, put it that way, as a priority um, lifestyle. I made sure that I was moving much more regular. I've always been someone that likes activity, but I was never really committed. You know, here or there, and I'd have stints where I was moving a bit more and then other times where I wasn't. So I just made consistency is really, I think what I'm getting at in all of these areas with the nutrition, with the sleep, and with the movement, I became consistent Mm -hmm. in all of those. So that was my body. And then I Introducing this concept of nervous system dysregulation was really important because a lot of us are living in what I call chronic fight or flight, an overactive nervous system that is not serving us. So I adapted a consistent that word again? practice of breath work. It's our, our most available tool. A certain way of conscious breathing can help regulate it, a dysregulated nervous system that I know... From that time where I was a very little child, I was living in that chronic fight or flight state. So I committed to a daily practice, a small practice, you know, five minutes even, but I built that in to these new routines that I was putting in. So that was kind of the core of regulating my body. And quite honestly, I I don't think that I would have healed my anxiety to the extent that I did without... And that's why I'm so passionate now about including the body and this more holistic way of treating you know, anything in terms of the psychological realm. Because I don't think that without that balance, I would have had as much success with my anxiety.
2: I just want to follow up about the sleep really quickly because... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my mom in particular, but I know a lot of people deal with just trouble sleeping in general and how like their anxiety affects their sleep, but I'm sure the lack of sleep affects anxiety. So it's like, how would you recommend just starting to make a difference there? Because, you know, she finds herself easy to go to sleep, then wakes up and can't go back to sleep because her mind's running so yeah. and then she's losing sleep and then she wakes up with anxiety yeah, and then you're stressed out about sleep yeah, exactly yeah. so you, you yes. know and I find myself sometimes when I'm like I need to get to bed and then I'm stressed about it and then I can't get to bed <laughs> yeah,
1: I hate that feeling. you know yeah. so
0: how
2: do you how do you work with that
0: yeah anticipatory sleep anxiety <sighs> all that and that's real. that's real I mean that does start to accumulate like a snowball and I had that to myself with sleeping so I'm happy you asked because that bringing us up to the mind. Our, our mind and our ever-running thoughts are, are more impactful than most things in our daily objective world. It's the stories, the endless dialogue. It's the running, racing thoughts that are keeping us up mm. at night, especially when those thoughts are not calming thoughts. The second we think uh, and spend too much time thinking stress-inducing thoughts, our body is going to become activated as if we are in that stressed experience, environment, what have you. So up into the mind, I really cultivated separation from my thoughts. I think using a tool like meditation, mindfulness-based meditation, where we learn how to be separate. And in particular, we learn how to control our attention. So to more simply answer your question, when I'm laying in bed, whether or not it's when I first enter bed, the reason why our thoughts spiral typically at those times, as you'll hear for most of us that have anxiety, they do... It's because we don't have what I call the hook for attention. Life's not happening. So I'm not paying attention to something outside of myself or something ex- external. So what am I doing? I'm paying attention to the endless dialogue. The dialogue's there all day, typically, but we're, quote unquote, seeing it. And then we're you know kind of running the races of whatever it's, it's inducing in us physiologically. So developing, I call it a muscle, that attentional muscle, because we all have the muscle a lot of our muscles are wimpy. So by retraining our muscle, our attentional focus, so that I can direct where I want to pay attention, whether or not that's to you that I'm speaking to right now, to my breath, out of my mind, essentially, Mm. is typically going to be the best place for attention if you're someone who struggles to sleep. So while you're laying there, either upon entry of bed or in the middle of night when I awake and my mind is racing the more time I'm looking and spending in those thoughts, the more activated uh, I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Sleep is going to be the farthest thing from me. If I can learn how to grow, and this does not happen overnight. Back to that word consistency. I'm, I, I, I hate this reality myself. I'm a human. I wish things were immediate. I wish there was light switches that I could just flip and know how to you know, practice these things or have the effects of these, these tools. But it's really about practicing them consistently enough so that when I'm laying there in bed, I can move my attention, bring it back into my body, actually allow my body to fall into a more restive state.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. What you focus on expands and yeah. And, and, and knowing that it's a practice, the consistency of it. Cause I think people get like kind of frustrated by the, first time they try. And then they're like, that didn't work. Yeah. So what do I try again? You know, it yeah, is I can't practice. It it.
1: like that. Yes. Yeah. But that's honestly torture. I remember when I was really little, I had that sleep induced mm. anxiety. And I remember talking to a doctor about it. Cause I was never sleeping. I was like, I'm never sleeping. I'm so, I get the feeling before bed. I was like, I just get this feeling before bed of that. St- and I was like, didn't know how to describe it. She was like, well, it's still worthwhile if you lay down with your eyes closed. I was like, okay. (laughs) Thanks. Even as a kid, I was like, this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I hated it. (gasps) Something. So in your transition and not transition in your evolution, really, what do you feel like you felt was missing from traditional therapy that is still potentially prevalent today that you now really incorporate in what you do?
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to start at this word that I keep referring to, which is consistency. I think a large limitation of traditional therapy is, is the once a week model, is going in somewhere once a week, even if you have an incredibly insightful session and you know exactly you know how you're going to solve or, or resolve an issue in your outside life, the reality of it is, as far as I see it, unless you're Practicing some of these tools consistently outside of that one hour, and this is what I was starting to notice in my clients. When I say stuck, we'd have amazing sessions where awarenesses we'd piece together, you know, kind of uh, patterns. We'd get it, and then the next week I'd get a, re- or a report that that same you know kind of trigger point happened. I dealt with it in that same reactive way, and the limitation I believe is that I don't think change happens for any of us on a once a week Mm -hmm. basis. I think we have to be using these tools and making these changes consistently outside of session. That's the same thing with working out. I mean, the analogy that we hear, if you go to the gym once a week, even for an hour, you're really going to be limited in whatever you're trying to achieve at the gym happening ultimately. So that's a big limitation that I believe is, is universal, will still exist. And the reality of it is, I don't think that the solving of that is to go to therapy every day. I think it's to start to talk in therapy about these shifts and how to maintain these shifts outside of the treatment room. So I think that's a big glaring limitation. And like we said, when we began, I think some of the limitations are based in the tools that were, or the information that is being taught in most of these clinical programs, whether or not you have the PhD, like I do, or you're in any licensure, that will allow you to, to help support people in their mental wellness. I think that there's a lot of limitations where the body is still largely left out where things like lifestyle changes, nutrition, sleep, things like that are not necessarily being talked about. And like I was saying that those are the habits of consistency that we definitely want to shift and maintain. And This third piece, which I I believe is shifting a little bit around that nervous system until I think that the definition of trauma is expanded where we're not just... I think as society, a lot of the language that a lot of probably your listeners might have heard referred to as the big T, right? Unless we have those big glaring instances of abuse, you know, whatever version it is or neglect. Historically, that's what we've defined as trauma. That's when you carry... PTSD is, I think, the diagnosis that we typically relate to that, but that's when you carry the effect of it. And everything else was left out. So I think a big limitation comes by keeping that definition so restricted because I actually believe that many roads lead to a dysregulated nervous system that are not just those big T traumas. I know I lived one of those roads myself, and that was really confusing to me for a while because I didn't look back in my history and I did not see big glaring instances of abuse or neglect, I was under the impression that I should be fine. So why the hell am I so not fine? So until the definition of trauma, I think universally expands. And that's why I'm always talking about all of the different emotional wounds or unmet needs that could still carry that dysregulated nervous system effect. I don't believe that those tools are going to be incorporated, but I believe that they need to.
2: Mm, Can we talk about that big T and little T trauma and by little T, I just, I, I want to kind of pick that apart and define that. Um, we we had an experience recently in in a group therapy setting over a, the course of like five days and talking about these traumas that are consistent. Like they are a part of how we grew up, whether we have a parent that is a narcissist or what have you, it's not like one event. It is a consistent hum of, trauma so i'd love to maybe give examples of that and also define it and and how we can start to recognize the the symptoms around like how it's showing up
0: now in our adult life yeah absolutely so as i see it as humans we all have a universal need to be i i conceptualize it in these three words seen heard and understood So there are many ways consistently over time. This is not the one-off You know, when mom was not available to me to see me or be attuned to me or whatever caregiver was my most prominent in my childhood. This is, again, that consistency of it. So when I don't feel seen as the unique individual that I am heard, when my emotions aren't necessarily attuned to, the reason it's problematic... So listeners might be thinking like, oh, well, that, that would be a gift to be seen, heard, understood. But The reason as a child it becomes problematic is we are left often then alone in really big, to keep it really simple, really big emotions that we cannot navigate on our own. So what that looks like and then what that translates to in adulthood is we are, I will always describe us as little beings, no matter how you believe we get to this planet, I always use these two words, intuitive and adaptive. So we all, as far as I see it, have an internal guidance system and we're all, incredible. humans are incredibly adaptive creatures. So what happens is we do just that, we adapt. So we start to compensate with our emotions, with our way of being in the world or in relationships. So to answer the second part of your question, how we know is we continue to live those adaptations then over time. Even though we mature and we have much more choices available to us, when we're a child, we can't leave our, our, our family, whatever that looks like, home. We're actually quite literally dependent on our caregivers, whomever they might be, to meet our physical needs. Emotionally, we're much more limited. We have really two options, scream and yell and tantrum, or detach, numb, and dissociate. I used to pick the latter all of the time. So how we know in adulthood is we find ourselves typically when we're triggered, I use that word, all that means to me is a big feeling based on, a maybe not so big event. Mm. So a lot of times when my feeling feels disproportionate to what's actually happening, chances are there is something deeper going on. And chances even further are that the reaction I'm eliciting is one of those age old uh. ones. So how we know is if we find ourselves living patterns in within our emotions, living patterns in our relationships that logically and object- objectively aren't serving us, chances are we are carrying some version of that attachment wound some version of an unmet need that as an adult as far as I see it at least it's our it's our job I think to, to fill on our own so in that journey sometimes so for me in an in an overwhelming environment because I dissociate it I carried that overactive nervous system for so long and life in general right it was like the everything pretty much felt like a trigger for me. I was reactive and reactive and reactive. Even if logically nothing looked problematic or it wasn't that big of a deal, my nervous system was so wrought from years of being in that fight or flight mood that that's why I, I say that it's necessary that we regulate our nervous systems. And I think a lot of us carry that with us into adulthood.
1: What was your soothing technique? How did you, how were what was your choice to soothe your nervous system? Or did you have a way or?
0: As, as yeah. a child, I dissociate it. I never would have called it that word because I've learned about that in school and I had a picture of what that was or looked like. So it wasn't until after school and I began my own healing journey that I realized that's what it is. I've now monikered it my spaceship
1: because I would get
0: really good. I would have full conversations with people appearing to be here and present, but I was somewhere else. And usually that was around when I was having a feeling that was overwhelming. In my 20s, of course, that then became numbing with mm-hmm. alcohol and substances and all of that. That was a you know more socially appropriate way. So when I looked like I wasn't there, oh, it was I you know, Nicole was because I know, Nicole's drunk, um, but more or less. So as a child, my only option was to check out in a sense. And then I carried that even though as an adult,
1: I had many more options of what I could do. I think one of the things that I've thought about that I do you, like, I, I actually in listening to your story and whenever I've seen a lot of your stuff, I, I can relate to a lot of what you felt with your mom and a lot of your nervous system experience and like the calcification of certain uh, feelings and emotions that you had. And for me, my, my soothing technique was food and is food. So right now where we are in the stage of our business, it's like it's hard for me to calm my nervous system unless I do it intentionally through breath or through sound baths or my morning meditation. But I find myself with a nervous system that is active quite often. And I'll notice that when I am at a place where there's too much, you know, there's a little too much, there's a little too much happening. I'm moving to from here to here. I'm in my car too much, or I'm feeling like I'm taking on too much. I will find that way to soothe or I'll crave a soothing technique, usually with food. What would you suggest for someone that has their own soothing technique, whether it's, you know, alcohol or food to calm their nervous system? How can they, I guess, mitigate against that to stop doing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely and I think food is a very very common way that a lot of us soothe. That's why food is so complicated because it's not just about nutrient needs in our bodies. So back to when I was talking about the whole nutrition piece, it's not just as easy for some of us about to change, you know, the nutritional choices that we're making because for a lot of us food does. So for me an extension of that was the only connection that I had with a very emotionally unavailable mother was through yeah. food. So I, myself too, had a very complicated relationship with food or thoughts about food, planning next meals. I also had scarcity wrapped up, uh, a mindset of scarcity wrapped up in my food-related behavior. So I can relate. A lot of my healing was starting to unpack my relationship with food. So the fact, anyone listening that's like yourself, the the self-awareness piece is huge. You will always hear me cite two, as simple as can be, steps to change. The first step is self-awareness or consciousness. Being aware that for you, right, food does have a soothing component that allows the next step, which is change. So to to answer your question, it's, it's about replacing what food does for you to soothe that soothing nature with something else. That's maybe more adaptive or maybe more in alignment with what you want to see for your future goals, with breath work being a great tool. And this is where it's a little bit more, there's no manual where it's a little bit more individualized because depending on what feeling you're having, soothing might look yeah. different. So sometimes, and, and I share this again back to my history of dissociation. I had a tool when I decided it no longer worked and I re- rebuilt the connection back into my body. Once I arrived there, I had a lot of feelings that I yeah. had no idea what the hell to do with. So as you begin to journey about finding some new tools for emotional regulation, you, the listeners out there, you might not know, and that's okay. We don't come pre-programmed with how to deal with our feelings. We have to learn. So sometimes it's experimentation. So what I would begin to do, and I suggest we all do, is to just try things, right? So I'm mad. I'm angry you know, maybe I'm going to hop in the the bath, the bath. And does that make me feel good? No. Anger in a bathtub. That's true. Okay. (laughs) Next time, next time I'll try to walk, you know? And so it might be a little bit of trial and error, but the underlying principle is replace, right? The function, because that's what food is. Food had a function to soothe with something that, like I said, is more in alignment with your ultimate goal aimed still at soothing the underlying emotion because that's real. You're feeling something in that moment that doesn't feel good. So now we just want to find a better way to help you to feel better.
1: Mm, Love that.
2: And staying with that parent piece, you had a post on Instagram that said, your healing will bring out the emotional immaturity of your parents. And um, I'll speak for myself, but I think Krista relates to this too, where as we heal and as we do the work, it becomes magnified, how emotionally immature our parents can be, have been, continued to be.
1: So then we're mad and we shame them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call them out on a public podcast. Yeah, honestly.
0: Cool.
2: <laughs> Hello. Love and light. I'm, but what I've realized too is in doing my own work, one, knowing that my parents never had these resources and conversations and therapy and all of this stuff. So like bless their hearts that they were navigating traumas similar to mine and even, you know, more. And, um, and then also like realizing that they are on their own healing journey themselves, you know, like generationally and just individually. But that doesn't mean that like I'm not frustrated some days and it's like heartbreaking some days. So, you know, I do yeah. want to bring them into the conversation. One parent is more open than the other. However, I don't want to discount the fact that maybe it just takes a little bit more work with the other parent. So how do you recommend like bringing them in to the conversation without pushing them away or making them feel shame? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I was smiling when you, first, when you first brought that up, Tiffany, because I, I have gotten an email or two from a not-so-happy parent. I'm assuming that that was being you know sent around. Um, and what, speaking of emotional maturity, you know, a very reactive place. And, and I get that. These are hard conversations to have. But you said something, I think, really integral in your questioning. Which is I, I I term this practice one of depersonalizing. So while I talk so often of our past experiences, with, which for most of us involve caregivers, whomever they might be, and the impact of those past experiences carry into our current situation, and hopefully not our future. But again, back to that first step, awareness is important. Um, a lot of times, you know, I I I do think that difficult things come up and we do come to realizations about limitations or lackings, you know, from these caregivers. And when I say what I mean, what I mean, when I say personalizing is accepting that these are humans too, that when, when we talk about, which is now really cool that it's very, a societal conversation of intergenerational transmission of whatever, insert whatever it might be, this is how it happens. So a human who was not modeled different behaviors that's all really that they're going to be able to model and pass on to their own children. Unless of course they make an intentional conscious effort mm. to heal and to grow. And I agree with you. I think there are a lot of generational limitations that amazingly are being um, shifted now with the availability of you know the online world and the tools and the resources and just the shift in stigma amount around these conversations in general. So when I say depersonalizing, I think we have every right This does not mean invalidate now as the healer, if you will. As I come to the awareness that, hey, I do have some unmet needs. I do still carry some wounds from these caregivers. This needn't invalidate that. I can feel and I ought to allow my feelings up and out, however it might be, about those limitations or those lackings. But what I say when I mean depersonalize is being able to distance and see it as more of a function of my parent and them and their humanness, essentially, as opposed to, because what a lot of us do, and this causes much more damage, in my opinion, we take it personally, meaning we take it to mean something about us. So the fact that my caregiver was not able to attune to me as a child, or to show up for me, or to model different behaviors for me as a child, I assign a meaning of personalization. I think it's because I'm not lovable or I'm not enough. And then unfortunately, this becomes my story about myself. I call it a narrative that I live with in my life. So there's incredible healing when we can save space, I think, for how I feel about these new realizations and then the reality that it's not about me, that this was really more indicative or reflective of my parent. And then it get, you know, in terms of how do I communicate, how do I talk about this... I will often visit this point when I do my inner child meditations because sometimes I think we're compelled to go back and tell our caregiver and get an apology and or to see things shift and change in the future. And again, to speak to another beautiful point you made, that our caregiver might not be able to hear it. Nothing might change even if they do hear it. And that's a really, really painful reality. But I think we're compelled or a lot of us are compelled to go back Um, to have that conversation, to see things shift and change. And that's beautiful if you get that apology. That's beautiful if you do work on the relationship and it can shift and change over time because I believe all relationships can. But I also think we need to hold space for the reality that that might not be the trajectory. So I'm living that alternate trajectory where I did not get recognition for my reality as it was from my family. Things did not change in a direction despite my attempts at boundaries and every other thing to shift the dynamic. So I think it's also important to hold space for the reality that this might be the reality.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It takes the intention out of their action. And I did that years ago. I guess when I first moved out of Ohio to Chicago, the depersonalization with my mom and it completely changed my life. And now it's, you know, not. My most fulfilling relationship, but it's like I say this to people, and they, it's kind of comes off weird. But it is depersonalization in a way. Is I treat her as if she were more of a stranger to me, and so I can be very kind. I can be very open. I can ask questions, and I don't feel like everything that is being said is like a blatant attack or trigger for me. And it's been huge. Something um, I wanted to ask about, one of my favorite, one of your posts that I think our community will really resonate with, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, is related to um, anxiety. And you say, anxiety disorder, and it's cross through, symptoms that hold a message from the body and soul. And I felt like in my life when I had really bad anxiety and depression before I... um, changed my life completely with a mindfulness practice, living in more alignment than I had been. Um, That was true for me. And there was a lot of work that I was avoiding. There was a lot of decisions I was avoiding making and um, ways in which I could be more of myself. So I would really love to dig into your thought behind that post and and, um, belief.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, breaking it down into the three sectors as I see constitutes each of us as humans, body, mind, soul. So Anxiety, a contributor, an underlying cause of anxiety could be one of those two things I was referencing earlier, the physiological imbalances often that originate in our gut and or that dysregulated nervous system. So seeing the, that version of symptoms and to a large extent, like I acknowledged earlier, that was an underlying cause of my anxiety. Having been raised while when I entered my twenties, I became a little bit more health conscious. My family, you know, growing up was very much processed food, very much sugar heavy. Again, that's how I connected with my mother. Um, I had a, I was antibiotic queen. I have a chronically ill mother, so medications were you know ever available and believed in. Again, generationally, I had to look at some of that. It was of no ill intent my parents are from, they're much older. They were 42 and 45 when they had me. So very much of a depression error thinking where the person in the white coat was God, Mm. did hold all the answers. So I had, I say antibiotics, why I'm talking about that when I talk about the gut is that can be very, that can cause a lot of gut dysregulation. So in terms of that version of anxiety, we need to understand that what I'm feeling and I'm calling anxiety or panic might be being fueled by these underlying physiological imbalances and or nervous system des- dysregulation. Moving up to the mind, again, a lot of our anxiety is a signal that our relationship with our thinking mind is not balanced. I'm of the belief and I'm going to throw out a big universal statement here, but I truly believe it, most of us humans spend way too much time in our thinking mind. Period. I don't care what it's saying we're way up there way too yeah. much which can induce anxiety so anxiety could be a, a signal that you're too much in your mind and your the thoughts that you're having in your mind are not helpful maybe they're contradictory so I feel that pull that, I, that kind of pull in two different directions that sometimes you know is inherent in anxiety maybe they're just downright fear-based thoughts that I'm living under all day long and again if I'm paying attention to it before I know it, I'm going to be suffering the symptom of anxiety. And I might call it an anxiety disorder, but really it's a signal right, that my mind could be a bit more balanced with meditation and mindfulness and consciousness being such incredibly... And that attentional control impactful practices. I'm of the belief that we are, we're a third component, which is our soul. And I think too, anxiety could be a signal that there's something out of alignment. There's some way that I'm living for some of us on a consistent daily basis that isn't serving us, whether it's my personal life, my relationships, my professional life, whatever it might be. I believe that we are those three components. So anxiety, like I said, could also be indicative of that misalignment in some area with the goal being being really radically honest with ourselves and looking at those areas of in our life and deciding whether or not we are truly acting in alignment, or whether or not, for a million different reasons, of course, this is where we have to really dive in and explore, but where maybe we're not acting in alignment with ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah the 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 mind thing is interesting. I've because I find myself in my head more than uh, just proportionally more in my head than in my heart or in my body. But then when I started to give like, when I was in my mind, like more of a physical feeling and shape, meaning like it felt more narrow, it felt more tight, it felt like my eyes would do a thing, my forehead, you know, like all this stuff, I, I was able to notice it quicker, you know what I mean? It, and it is that practice, it is that consistency. And even just like putting, you know, we'll do this sometimes, like if we are, you know, doing an event, cause it can get heady in the sense that we're running an event, but then putting our hand over our heart and just reminding us to drop down, you know, because that's where everything is so expansive and from like this place of, of love. So um, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I agree with, I agree with that statement. I wanted to talk about, you had a post um, about things to ask while healing and dating. And for people out there that are dating, I'm single and I'm dating. And it's like, I feel like a fucking naked baby sometimes where I'm just like, oh my God. Like, I just, it's like I know everything and I don't know anything. And, it's like I, to, to bring someone into like a healing moment is very scary, but also I know that it'll help us go deeper, but are they ready for it? Like, it's just so intense. Um, so I know a lot of people out there are, are probably in this place. So I'd love to just kind of dig in there, maybe questions to ask ourselves, which is what this post was about, but just how you suggest navigating so that you can like expand Have the other person expand, but also like see each other, you know, for what's happening rather than like, whoa, what's she going through? Like, I don't need to be a part of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and I talk a lot about relationships because a lot of questions I get are, you know, how do I know if I'm ready to date or how do I date? Do I have to wait till I'm healed to begin dating? And I actually, what you'll often hear me say is any relationship, as far as I see it, can be an incredible teacher in our healing journey. Because another reality that I finally settled into for myself is I don't believe that there is an end really or a a done. So a lot of us are going to be waiting a long Mm -hmm. time. And I believe universally humans are, I mean, we are as a mammal, we are interpersonal. We are social creatures. We've survived evolutionarily not only in terms of division of labor, the objective ins and outs of daily life, but in stress reduction comes in relationships. So to counter that and to withhold ourselves from a very natural drive, I don't think that's the answer. And like I said, I don't I haven't found the done <laughs> the done goalpost yet of when healing ends. So I say that and I talk about dating because I think, like I said, that there can be expansion that happens in dating experiences, not only individually. So to answer your question, as you begin, I mean, putting yourself out there to develop whatever kind of relationship, especially. A romantic one is an incredibly vulnerable place to be. So the first level of awareness is just within yourself. Noting as you become, I call it self-observational, which is just watching yourself in the world, watching your internal world and how that's coloring your experiences and watching how you're engaging in maybe the development of these relationships and definitely watching when you're having those big feelings like I talked about. So as anyone who's listening is out there dating... Just yourself can be your own learning perspective. So, oh, when the person texts me or doesn't and says this or says that, why am I feeling such a big emotion? Right. So, a a big tool is to the best of our ability not to react from that emotion, right? (laughs) Put the phone down, take a few deep breaths. Cause when we're in that emotional brain, we're not going to be able to see objectively maybe why that was so problematic. But some of the journey of healing while we're dating or in partnership is internal just using those points those stories that maybe so oh he didn't text me back for a while and now i've created a whole story where he's out with someone else right okay so there's there's information there why is that the story that's coming to mind there's it's not a coincidence usually there's something that i'm mm. bringing that i'm carrying from my past experiences and it doesn't have to be as one to one right it doesn't have to be oh because i was cheated on this is what happens sometimes it's deeper it's not as, you know, kind of discreet as that. So we can learn just based on our experience of initiating and developing a relationship with people. And then in terms of how we show up in the relationship, I'm always a proponent of showing up as you are, of worrying first and foremost, because I think an aspect of dating that I find so interesting, people will ask themselves before they ask themselves the second question. People will internally ask themselves or worry more about, does that person like me? Do they want to see me again? Where the absence of the question is, do I like that person? Do I want to see that person again? And I think that reprioritization is incredibly important. Usually, again, it's, it's much more complicated. If I'm someone that's so worried about how I'm perceived, typically that's how I am in life. I, I, I am what I call externally oriented, right? I get my feel goods and my feel bads based on how others are reflecting me back to me. Our goal, as I say it, is me to feel okay, regardless of who's telling me I'm great and who's telling me I'm not so great. So I think that's usually a marker of something deeper, but that's a reality. When you're vetting someone for whatever type of relationship it might be or deciding if you're interested, really make sure that you're asking yourself if you're interested, which then leads me to that authenticity, showing up with who you are. Because if you're going to try to show up trying to be who you imagine they want you to be, that ends in one of two ways. Either you get exhausted at some point and you can no longer do that as the relationship progresses, or you continue to do that for the duration of the relationship. And then you're left largely unfulfilled, both of you.
2: Yeah. And just to close the loop on this, like to bring back that point of like living those patterns. And I found myself engaging in like a chemistry that was kind of what I saw and experienced when, you know, growing up. So, you know, when I, I finally got sick of that only recently. And it's like, it's very scary and cool at the same time. But like, you know, I can imagine that that is a a a pattern as well, where people like feel that they're like, I'm sick of of attracting guys who are emotionally unavailable, but then like it feels like home to be with guys who are emotionally unavailable. So it's like yes. breaking that is I'm experiencing is is interesting and something I'm like doing slowly. But how would you like kind of uh, coach someone through that where they see that kind of popping up and they want something but their actions are different?
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I'm happy you asked that. So the development of our relationship patterns again begin, you guessed it, very early on with our first experiences of relationships. We get information from what we see happening right in the people around us, their modeling relationship. Sometimes some of us are given direct messages about... Again, I'm really simplifying what's okay or not okay or what things mean in a relationship. So some of us get that directly or it's spoken about in our, you know, in our earshot. And then we experience ourselves in relationships. We have relationships with our caregivers and with our peers, and then it becomes romantic at whatever age. Those become then the models that we continue to engage around in terms of our relationships. So if we are used to having maybe a caregiver or a parent who's not as emotionally available, before we know it, I love that you use the word home intuitively. That's what feels familiar. And the reason I'm honing in on that word is because we have this part of our mind, also not mentioned in my programs, called the subconscious that quite literally stores, as this blows my mind every time I say it, everything that each of us have one, everything that's happened to us in life thus far, and will continue to log and store everything that happens to us until we're no longer on this planet. And on the one hand, we need that because it's the driving of the car example. Right, I can drive my car home on a very familiar route from work, say I can get home. I could have been thinking about the argument with my boss, but yet I'm alive, I'm safe, and I'm putting my key in the door. Thank God. So we need the subconscious to automatize some aspects of life because we can't attend to being a human in all the ways that we have to be a human each and every day. What is also in there are these, I call them programs because I think the computer analogy is the most understandable. We have programs for everything, including how we relationship. So the reason why I'm talking about this, logically, when we want to change, say we do, we have a realization, hey, this string of relationships didn't work. Emotionally unavailable people are not the people that I, I get hurt by them, right? Logically, we can come to that realization. However, our subconscious is very dichotomous. It's black and white, with the one end of the spectrum being familiar equals safe, good, repeat. Other end, unfamiliar equals unsafe, possibly a threat, abort at all costs. And I talk about that because familiarity is so key to our subconscious and its security. It feels like it's keeping us safe. So logically, you know, emotionally unavailable people don't work for me. You meet an emotionally available person, inherent... This happens with change too. So when I work with clients, I talk about this right at the beginning. Because logically, all of these new tools are going to be so great. But when you go to do these new tools, just like when you go to meet the emotionally available person or develop a relationship with the emotionally available person, something intrinsically is going to feel unfamiliar to your subconscious because it's not what it's used to. It's a different program. What is this? I feel different. And a lot of times, that difference provokes enough discomfort Either in the litany, I call it mental resistance, the litany of reasons why this is actually not the person that's for me, or some of us get it in our bodies. We just feel weird. We feel like we're calling. We just don't feel like us. Before we know it, we're right back in that familiar pattern. Even if logically you know where that road leads, and this this happens with change. This is why change is, as far as I see it, universally difficult. There's not one per- person on this planet that gets that free, easy road toward change because of our subconscious. Same thing with our relationship patterns, even if logically, and this is why a lot of times if you have friends or you yourself have maybe been in abusive even relationships, something that so logically should be signaling you to get the hell out, run away, red flag, stay away from this type of person. There is such familiarity there with that type of person.
1: Spot on. (laughs) So good. Last thing I wanted to talk about, was um, boundaries. And it's, it's been interesting to kind of explore and understand boundaries in the past couple of years. And uh, so much of it has uh, been challenging for me at times, but also there are parts of it where I do wonder sometimes with people and, and probably myself included, where I put a boundary up at a place where maybe I should actually be evaluating why I'm reacting in a boundaryed way. We saw this happen within... Uh, a relationship that we had where this person, there were opportunities to grow. uh, And instead of taking that on, they put up boundaries or they made boundaries. And I noticed that I also do that in myself. And so I wondered, have you seen that experience in people where, and I guess I really want to dig into what are opportunities and places in which people really need to be clear about boundaries? How do they do that? And then are boundaries sometimes used as a way to avoid uh, internal reflection?
0: Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Actually, I think you're inspiring me. All right, tag me in the next
1: post, baby. (laughs) 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 To create
0: create some content around this, because that's a really good question. And I'm really happy to hear (laughs) that you've been thinking about the concept of boundaries because Quite honestly, I I don't think it's been until the more recent that boundaries have become a more universal topic. And I think they're incredibly necessary. Meaning, I think there are a lot of listeners out there, probably not in your in your audience, but in many collective in, in the collective at large that have never heard of it, or they're just now hearing, they don't they don't know that the way I define boundaries, at least. They don't know that they have a right to put a limit in place in terms of how they engage with or experience relationships. So I'm really happy to hear that you were introduced to this because for me that was this was a big part of my own healing journey. So like I said, I define a boundary as I define it is for us, the maker of the boundary. It's not for someone else. Yes, indirectly, our hope, is that by me showing up differently in my relationship, that then the dynamic of the relationship can change. But I say that because I got a question on a previous podcast about what's the difference between a boundary and and an ultimatum. And the way I define it, like I said, a boundary is by me for me so that I can shift my experience of this person or this relationship. It's not me pointing the finger and demanding that someone does differently. But that's a really good question because where is where is the line between I'm feeling uncomfortable in a relationship, but in a way that would allow me to expand and I'm actually being violated or having my boundary crossed in a way that's not comfortable. Of course, as all things, there's not a formula for how to know which side of the line that it's this event or the context is falling. But I think with enough self-exploration, sometimes time is our best friend. Meaning if I have an emotional reaction, maybe I wait until tomorrow or maybe next week and I percolate and I let maybe my experience shift and change of what happened. Because with time, sometimes I can shift out of my emotional brain enough to come to the realization that, yeah, I'm uncomfortable over here. But this discomfort is of that expansive kind. So I might not like, right? And I I might now have to show up or to have the hard conversation with this person, but doing so will be in service of my growth. I think reactivity and my impulse to react emotionally, to respond, even though I really use respond for the long term. But that thing that happens right away, that is never, I don't believe, the best time to be making those decisions patterns are also really helpful, right? If this same thing keeps coming up in the relationship, that could be a source of information. Is this a one-off? That's another source of different information. But I think for each of us, I'm happy you brought that question up because it's, a, it's an important point of self-exploration. So why am I feeling uncomfortable? And is this discomfort, is walking through this discomfort more in service of growth, even though I would prefer not to, or am I just throwing up a wall so that I don't have to be uncomfortable and grow in that direction? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Perfect. And last one for me, I'm curious as to how you work with someone's highest self and how you bring that in. I've done a little work, like we've done work on that and exploring that and I've done that in therapy as well. But I'm just curious for those out there that maybe haven't felt what their highest self feels like or how to call it in or how to align with that, how you would describe it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So going back to that word I, described, I offered earlier, which is intuitive, I believe that our intuition and our highest self are interconnected, right? That that consciousness, the awareness, whatever it is that you believe we come to this planet with, I think our goal in life and in healing is to return to that really pure conscious state where we can view and accept and be with life as it is peeling back the layers of conditioning peeling back the layers of assigned meaning about ourselves our relationships others the world that don't serve us because more often than not that's that autopilot that we're living in our subconscious so Highest self-work, as I say it, is returning, is removing like the onion, all of the layers of conditioning that are resulting in me. Emotionally, patterned responses, behaviorally patterned responses, patterns in relationships. So as we peel all of that back, as we become, for some of us, so that intuition, one of two things typically happens to each of us as we age. We become either so disconnected that we're... This was me, so disconnected from my center, my center self, my intuition, because I was so dissociated that we can't really even hear it speak. And or we maybe hear our intuition, but we don't trust it. So I think highest self-work involves peeling back all of that conditioning and almost a return to that place. I think that there's also a high an aspect of highest self-work that I talk a lot about when I talk about my future self-journaling process which is, what do I imagine I want? How would I want to respond? We can do a bit of imagining, I think, too, to create change, you know, to sit there and say, okay, these are the patterns that don't work for me. How might I prefer to see myself show up in those contexts? So I think we can also you know, summon our highest self in imagining. And, and I believe, and I have this in my Instagram bio, I believe we get the option of creating that person through those consistent acts each day. So if you can imagine how it is that you would prefer to show up when you're feeling anxious, when you're dating, when you're interacting with your parents, I believe that you can build in those small daily habits. I call them daily promises that can actually allow you to create that. Mm Yep. Love it.
2: <laughs> I'm nodding so hard. People can't see it. Um, wow. Thank
1: you so, so awesome. much. I know you so have tons much. of free resources too. Yeah. So I would love for you to plug all the free resources and, and things that you provide because I know our girls will, will love to, to dig in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So all of the resources, honestly, that I use with my clients, I I have available on my website. I blast out in emails. So anyone who gets to work with me, there is no secret sauce that I hide. I think it's really important going back to, I think, where we started in terms of the concept of self-healing. I think... If people have the right tools and begin to understand how to utilize those right tools consistently, there's that plug again, Mm -hmm. I do think that change can happen. So right now, if you sign up for my email list, um, the resource that goes out is that free future self journal template. So it tells you how to begin to journal in a new way to create that authentic self that I think each of us or I know each of us has inside. Uh, on I have a link tree, so if you go and kick around i 'm at the dot psychologist. you can find other resources that, that I have preloaded um, up there and a new exciting thing that I 'm hoping to launch in the form first of a website and then launch i 'm hoping the weekend of November first is a virtual membership uh, private community that I'm going to be evolving into doing some work, which will be every month I pick a topic in healing. I run virtual workshops and give resources and we have challenges and I have guest speakers on that topic. And it's going to be a a more private community than Instagram allows because I've been getting a lot of interest in having something that feels a little bit more structured but also more closed off where, and I'm such a big fan of community, which is why I hold those free meditation events because, I know because I've lived this, it can be really isolating and lonely as you begin to make these changes that we've all been talking about. You might look around and people around you might not be making these changes. So I think having other humans that can really truly relate, maybe even that just understand these lingo. I mean, we talked about dating earlier, right? I mean, Here we have all of these new concepts like inner child and reparenting and all of these words that, again, I don't think are... They're becoming universal, which I am it's incredible, but they're they're not fully there yet. So I'm going to be launching a virtual membership in the next couple of weeks. So I'll be shouting it from the rafters on Instagram once it's up there live. And I have an email list, like I said, that the journal guide goes out with when you sign up that I'll also be keeping everyone posted with the membership and then any other fun new projects
2: okay. I have. We'll, we'll so definitely exciting. link all of that in the show notes and... Yeah, we're Thank just so you. grateful for the work that you do and for sharing with with our community. And um, we can't wait to meet you in person one day.
1: I know. Yeah. I also too just when you were talking, a lot of the reason why we started almost thirty was because we felt like it's very lonely when you're making those transitions, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to just be a safe space for people during that. You know, coming from, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. She grew up in Philly, and it wasn't always the norm. So it's really great that you know, you're know you aligned with that as well. And um, this has been awesome. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to your next post every time. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend all of our girls get some of your resources and follow.
0: I thank you both. Seriously, Krista and Tiffany. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I was super excited. I, I've been loving what you're doing. I think you're touching a really mass of the collective that I think to speak to your point does need it, does want some connection in a new way. So we've been very incredibly inspired by the two of you. So I was really excited when you reached out to me and honored to be able to share all the resources that I have and will continue to create with all of your So best.
2: honored. And I just want to say, I, I'm I actually wish I was Tiffany sometimes because she's so organized. But I'm Lindsay. Just so we know when I see you in person, I, 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 Tiffany's on our team, so you're not far off. I just wanted to uh, shout it out. Sorry. No, don't be sorry whatsoever. I, <laughs> I wish I was like Tiffany.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, the organized. Oh my one, god, that's so, so
2: organized. But um, yeah, we just we appreciate you, and we'll we'll see you soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Of course, we'll see you. Bye.
2: Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us. You can learn more at yourholisticpsychologist.com and you can also follow her on Instagram at the period holistic period psychologist. Um, It's an incredible follow. So thanks so much for that conversation. Hopefully it... It serves as just kind of a springboard into this new year.
1: Yeah, and I'm at It's Krista on Instagram and Lindsay is Lindsay Simsick Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram. And we have all the information about all of our partners, our discount codes and everything mm-hmm. related to any links you want discounts on for some health and wellness products for the new year. So make sure to check out the website for that. It's almost30podcast.com. We're so excited to create with you this yeah. year. If you have any uh,
2: recommendations for guests, uh, we really want to hear from you. So um you know, we, we really, we see you as collaborators on this thing. So if you have any recommendations, please slide into our DMs, whether it's personal or on at um, almost 30 podcast. And we'd love to know who you would like to hear from this year. You know, anyone, truly anyone, we are going big. Um, so we're excited to have more conversations that uplift you, inspire you, make you laugh and just make you feel less alone. And we're out. We love you. Love you. Bye.